Hey everyone, and welcome to Livingston First Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. We really hope you're ready to hear a great message from the Word of God. So prepare your hearts, prepare your ears, and get ready to receive a blessing from the Lord. Be blessed. All right, go to Mark 15. Stay standing. Come on, we're going to honor God's Word this morning. You just wanted to sit down. (laughs) Mark 15, verse 1. We talked about uh, prophecy for three weeks straight. Was anybody blessed by that? Yes. Good, good. We're gonna, we're gonna talk, about, I don't know if this, will, I like series, but I don't wanna lock myself into anything right now. We're gonna talk about the Father and knowing our identity as sons and daughters. Mark 15, verse one. Before dawn that morning, the ruling priests, elders, religious scholars, and the entire Jewish council set in motion their plan against Jesus. They bound him in chains, took him away, and handed him over to Pilate. As Jesus stood in front of the Roman governor, Pilate asked him, so are you really the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you have just spoken it. Verse three, then the ruling priest over, then the ruling priest over and over again made bitter accusations, accusations against him, but he remained silent. So Pilate questioned him again, have you nothing to say? Don't you hear these many allegations they're making against you? But Jesus offered no defense to any of the charges, much to the astonishment of Pilate. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we ask that our thoughts and my words would honor your word. God, that we would be attentive and tuned in to what your spirit is doing and saying. We love you, Jesus, and we place your name above every other name. Amen. You can be seated. So Jesus is about to face the crucifixion. They take him in and they've got all the Pharisees that are making bitter accusations against him. And then Pilate who's been here before, this is his job, is to actually proclaim people guilty, not guilty, work through sort of these like local uh, and regional disputes between uh, the religious or the Jewish people and the Roman people who live together in the land. So Jesus is in there and he's bound up in chains. He's done nothing wrong. He's only spoken the truth. Uh, He's just being who he is. And Pilate asks him, Do you want to say anything in response to what these people are saying to you? And Jesus is silent, right? He says, you have spoken it, but then he doesn't respond after that. He just goes silent. And it says in the scripture that Jesus offered no defense to any of the charges, much to the astonishment of Pilate. And that kind of caught me this week reading the the life journal. Why did that astonish Pilate? Why, Why did he care that Jesus wanted to be silent? And I started to think about what that would be like to have Pilate's job to just be in there proclaiming innocence and and guilt and and sort of being like a judge in the land you're given to lead. And I'm sure he's seen many people come before him in chains. And you know what people do when they're scared? They fight or they flight, they run. And it was probably really peculiar to see a man who was bound up in chains who wasn't even responding to his accusers, just be silent. If it were me, I'd probably be making a really good case on why these people are wrong and why I'm right. 
And it says Pilate is amazed because he's seeing a man who's probably going to face death if he doesn't make an argument against the case they're bringing forward, actually just stand there and not respond to any of the accusations being made before him. Now, it's important to realize Jesus is not scared. He's not tired or exhausted. He doesn't like, just like, I'm just done dealing. It's not, that's not his attitude. Jesus is silent because he doesn't have to say anything. The accusations are not going to determine his future. The accusations are not going to change the way he feels about the situation. And the accusations are not going to uh, steal God's plan from his life. So he's confident and he, he's, he's full of his own identity and who he is as a son and daughter of God. And that astonishes Pilate. It, it says they, it was so amazing to Pilate to see a man not want to argue back that they, Mark mentioned to put it in the gospel. That's pretty wild, right? So Pilate, he's looking at this man and he's probably waiting to see him start like trembling or shaking or start crying or maybe even like yelling at the Pharisees. He's looking for the normal attitude of a man who's being accused and facing the death sentence. And it astonishes him because Jesus is standing in confidence. See, this is not a good situation. Being crucified is not a pleasant series of events. And Pilate knows that most of the time you bring these people in, you tell them their, their charges, and if it's a death sentence, they're just going to start coming apart. They're going to either start to shake and be fearful or they're going to fight and speak back against the accusations being made against them. And he's witnessing a man who is so confident he doesn't need to say anything. It was probably unsettling for Pilate to watch. You know, he either was amazed that Jesus was so confident or he probably thought this man has absolutely lost his mind. Right? That's not a normal response. Jesus was able to stand before his accusers because he knew his identity. There's nothing they can say that's going to steal from Jesus who, what he knows of who he is. Right? Because he knew his identity, he knew no man could change what God had planned for him. He was modeling what he had taught his disciples in John 14, that you can be bold because you know where you're headed and you know who you belong to. John 14, Jesus speaks in verse one, don't worry or surrender to fear for you believed in God. Now you trust and believe in me also. My father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I'd tell you plainly because I go to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I'll come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am. And you already know the way to the place where I'm going. So what's Jesus saying there? If you know who you belong to and you know where you're headed, then you don't have to be rattled by fear. You don't. It's true. You can stand confidently in front of your accusers if you know where you're going and what you belong to. Now, Jesus' primary ministry when he walked the earth was to, to reveal the kingdom of God. 
but he revealed the kingdom of God by revealing who the father was. Remember when the disciples said to him, Jesus, if you were to show us the father, we would feel much better about what you say to us. Remember that? And what does Jesus say to him? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. I've come to build the kingdom of God by revealing to you that you no longer belong to yourself. If you believe in me, you now belong to the Father and he has a perfect plan and destiny for your life. And because he has a perfect plan and destiny for your life, you don't have to be overwhelmed with fear when things don't go your way. Because you know, regardless of the outcome or the situation or the accusation, that God's purpose for your life is gonna supersede anything man can do to you. It's kind of revelatory, right? Because I'm a son, I don't have to worry. Now, I can be stupid and make things hard for myself. All of us can do that. But because I'm a son, I don't have to worry about the outcome because God has already planned it for my life. Uh -uh. (laughs) I don't have to fight back when my accusers start lying about me. God will take care of it. See, that only comes from walking in the revelation that you're a son or a daughter and that there's a father in heaven who is much bigger than anybody that can come mess with you. I've said it before. If you pick a fight with me, I bless you because you're not really fighting me. I'm not going to mess with that stuff. You're going to be fighting with my dad. I'm not gonna try to prove myself to you. I know when I'm right. I don't have to prove it to you. I'll let God do that for me. And that sounds like arrogance, but it's the truth. It just is. Regardless of how you feel about it, if I'm a son, I can rest in my father and know that he's planned perfection for my life. And that circumstances and situations can't steal that regardless of how I feel. Amen. So we don't wanna be passive but you don't have to worry about proving yourself. There's a difference, right? I can engage a fight and not have to worry about proving myself because I know my father will fight for me. You know how you know you deal with the orphan spirit? When you have to prove to everyone else around you what you believe. That's that's the truth. Come on, when I have to like explain why why I'm right is right, then I know that I don't actually believe what I'm saying is right because I can't stand on it. I have to construct it and build it and prove to you and get you to agree with me so I can affirm what I believe is truth. But when I know I'm right, I can just say it and you can deal with it and God will sort out the rest. Even a, a, a fool sounds wise when he's silent. Proverbs. It's true. I can tell you the truth. You not receive it. I'm not going to chase you and try to explain it any further to you. I'll let God deal with you because he's my, he's my refuge. He's my daddy. So that confidence only comes from experiencing God as a father. Did you know that the day Jesus was baptized, there was three parts to his baptism? You know, God is three parts and three beings in one. 
There's three parts to the baptism that Jesus received the day he was baptized. Let's go back to that story. Jesus uh, approaches John the baptizer and says, I want to be baptized. John is like, I don't think so. You are way more important than I am. And I'm not even worthy to like mess with your shoelaces. And Jesus says, no, it's important that we do all of what God has ordained for us, saying that this is the way God has made it so men can approach him. So it's important that I model this to the rest of humanity. So John's like, okay, if you say so, you're the boss. And he baptizes him. Now, how many of you know that baptism it has very little importance in terms of like being dunked underwater? We live in the Bible Belt, so we put a big emphasis on dunking people. I like to dunk, uh, I like to baptize my kids every time we go to the pool or the beach, right? But there's no spiritual significance to that. So anyhow, it doesn't matter if you're dunked or sprinkled, makes no difference. So Jesus, he gets, he gets in the water with John. John dunks him, right? So the, the baptism of repentance of sin, he dunks him goes in the water, comes out of the water. Then what happens when he comes out of the water? The anointing falls on him. He gets baptized in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, right? And then it says a third part happens in his baptism. What happens? The sky splits open and the father speaks and says, this is my son in who I am well pleased. And we all know Jesus has done no ministry up to that point. God is affirming that he's pleased with him just because of who he is, not because of what he's done. And that's biblical baptism. Three parts, that you would have baptism for forgiveness of sin, that you would have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that you would be baptized in the affirmation of God's voice speaking over you. You are my son, you are my daughter and I enjoy you and you've done nothing to earn it. Of course, we live in the Bible Belt. So as long as the priest gets you to, or the pastor gets you to hold your nose and then throws you underwater and you come back out, you're in. That's not biblical baptism. See, baptism is proof of your new life. You've been born again. You've been reborn. So that means that you have new parental ownership over your life. If baptism isn't leading you to the Holy Spirit who is resurrecting your spirit to receive God as a father, you're not actually born again. You've just been dunked underwater. You just smell less. You can't properly walk into, in the first two parts of the baptism until you receive the third. So an orphan with the gifts of the Holy Spirit is not very effective. Right? They're just an orphan. It's kind of like giving a child a, a paintball gun that doesn't know how to use it. it. Makes a mess and hurts a lot of people. Part of being a Christian is understanding that you have been reborn. The first part of your walk with Jesus is receiving God as a father. That's where you start. Of course, in American church, we have to backtrack because we've missed that key element to walking as a believer is that we have a father in heaven who affirms us regardless of what we've done. You're not building a ladder. This isn't the Tower of Babel where we're trying to ascend to God and prove to him how worthy we are. He's already said it over your life just by receiving him. You can't please God but through faith. Come on, guys, wake up. 
What's the faith in? The fact that he loves you. That he's given his son for you. And now because he's given his son, he calls you his son and he calls you his daughter and he's pleased with you, not because of what you do, but because of who he is. Go to John 3, verse 1. So Jesus corrected the premier teacher of Israel over this matter. Verse one, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God was not with him. This is great. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay, so we'll stop just there for a moment. Nicodemus is prestigious. He's like the premier top teacher of Israel. And he's really struck by all the amazing things that Jesus has been doing. And he's beginning to receive this message of the kingdom of God being built on earth through Jesus' signs and miracles, right? He's like, wow, this guy is like healing blind people, uh, raising up the dead. He's, he's casting out demons. Surely there's got to be some sort of imprint of God on this man. Otherwise, he would not be able to do what he's doing. And those things are good. But Jesus is listening to him and he immediately changed the subject from signs and wonders to being born again. Because how many of you know the gifts and the signs and the wonders are useless if you're not walking in your identity? Right? So he changes the subject. And he starts to talk about the concept of being reborn. Verse 4, Nicodemus speaking, how can someone be born when they are old? That's a very good question. Like, what, how does that work? <laughs> Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So Nicodemus is a smart guy and he starts to expound on biology and the way human life is conceived into the world. And he's having trouble understanding how Jesus could expect people to climb back in the womb. And I don't blame him. That's weird, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. I love how Jesus doubled, doubled down on the uncomfortable part. He doesn't give him an explanation. He's just like, I said, you have to be reborn. <laughs> Unless they are born of water and spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these basic things. So Jesus doubles down. He doesn't back off of being uncomfortable. He's continuing on. And then he starts to say, Nicodemus, if all you can do is perceive with your flesh, then you'll never receive what God has intended for you. Right? And he starts to make this uh, antidote about the wind having power and moving things and changing the atmosphere. And you know it is, but you can't see it, but you believe it's there. 
And it's a neat little teaching tucked inside of this, this scripture about being reborn, where Jesus basically says, if all you can receive is what you see, then you can't receive the kingdom of God. Right, because we know that the wind has impact, but we can't put our eyes on it. So Jesus goes on and he says, you've got to be born of water and of the spirit. Why? Why does he say that? Now let's think about this for a moment. When you go down, you're a dead man. Amen? Before you're baptized, you're a dead man or a dead woman to be PC. Right? You're there, you're dead. You go down into the grave, as did Jesus, but then you're washed of your sin and you come up reborn. Does anybody here know what babies have to break through to come into the world? Water. The water has to break. You have to have breakthrough of water. Okay, so you go down and you break through into a new life. You're literally being reborn in the spirit. You're being reborn into a new life. You come up and then what do you receive? If you want it, the wind of the Holy Spirit. What do babies do once they break through water? They breathe. They receive a fresh wind and a fresh anointing of life by opening their lungs. Do you know the Holy Spirit, when he falls on you after you've been reborn, he gives you a resurrection to your spirit, man. And then you can receive the Father. What do they do with that newborn baby after it's broken through water, coming out of the womb, taking a breath of new air? What do they do? They make contact with its provider. I think that's right, right? They put it on the mother's chest so the, the baby can now make contact with the one who will nurture it and provide for it for the rest of their young life. So let's, let's re, retake the steps here. You go down, you're dead. You come up, you break through water, you're alive. You get a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit that comes onto your life. And then the last step, but the most important step that you have to understand is that you make contact with your nurturer and your provider. You see, this is why we have a church full of orphans in America is because we get the first part, we do the bath part really well. And then in some places, we even smack you in the head and we do the Holy Spirit part kind of well. But then we don't make space for people to then who now have their resurrected spirit encounter their provider who is Father God. You see, this is what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus. Don't get caught up in the signs and the miracles. Don't get caught up with assimilation and being a part of a group of people. Don't get caught up even with the, the baptism and, you know, all the right Christian lingo. You need to encounter the Father. You know, this is hard to do because all of us have had an encounter with our earthly fathers. And those guys were not perfect. None of them are. Your role as a parent is not to be perfect, it's to lead them to the perfect one who is Jesus because they need healing from the wounds you've put on their life. And in the same way, when you come to God and you receive him as a father, you need to be healed of the wounds that your father has put on you. 
And once you have that point of contact where you can receive God and know who he is as a father, you can stand confidently in your identity because you're not worried when you know who's fighting for you. I remember when I was real young, like 13, I got my first job in a Shiloh. I said Sears, it wasn't Sears, it was a, a trucking company. And 13 years old, first job, and it was to wash all the box trucks with this little push broom. It was miserable. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I went to interview, my dad worked at the company and he really wanted me to, to go interview to clean the box trucks because I needed to make some money. So he took me and I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I was like a leaf, just shaking, just completely terrified. 13 years old, did not know what to do with myself, my hands, you know, everything was just awkward, just really terrified. And we get there and my dad says, all right, go in, go to the office, take a left, go, and you'll see the guy you're going to interview with. I want you to talk to him and I want you to ask for the job. And I said, well, are you coming with me? And my dad said, no, you're doing this on your own. And he set, kicked me out of his truck, parked on the other side of the building in the parking lot. And I just kind of like shook my way into the, the guy's office to confront him, to ask him for a job. Get into the office. The guy greets me, very nice, but I'm terrified of him for no reason other than being 13. And I stand there and he said, what do you want? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm 13. I'm so scared right now. So it goes really bad. I don't do anything my dad told me to do. And uh, the guy interviewing me says, all right, nice to meet you. Sends me on my way. I go out to the truck. My dad's waiting for me. He lets me get back in the truck and he says, did you get the job? And I said, dad, I really don't think I'm gonna get that job. And he looked at me, he said, why? It just didn't go well, I don't, I don't know. I didn't know what to say. So he said, get out of the truck. So get out of the truck. He leads me back into the office. And now I'm just like, my stomach is in my mouth and I want to puke because I'm so embarrassed and I'm terrified now that my dad is taking me to confront this man that I'm already terrified of. And we go into the office and he, we, we go back to the guy's uh, space where he was doing the interview. And my dad says to him, are you going to give my son a job or not? I didn't know beforehand. He knew the guy really well and they had planned this. <laughs> and the guy looked at me and he said, well, do you want this job? And my dad looked at me and said, tell him you want this job. And feebly, like a, a scared little boy, I said, I want this job. <laughs> and they hired me. And I walked back out with my dad. And I remember thinking in my head, if I'm confident in my father, then I can be confident in front of my future manager. And you see, that's why Jesus was confident in front of his accusers, because he knew the game plan before his accusers started accusing. See, if he didn't know the Father's will, then it would have made perfect sense for him to look at his accusers and say, I am Jesus, I am the Messiah, I am the Almighty, and you don't have ground to stand on because I am truth. Then a horde of angels would have came in, lopped all their heads off, dropped his chains, and he would have walked out the King of Israel. But because he knew his Father, he didn't have to say anything. 
He could stand in the truth. You see, it's taken a lot of years for me to understand this, but the less you say, the more you say when you're standing in the truth. And you don't have to worry about all the circumstances and situations that are going around that don't align with where you think you're headed because you know if God has called you there, then nothing can stop you. And you don't have to look to the world for satisfaction and, and pleasure because you know that you have a father who is pleased with you, therefore you can be satisfied. But we have to, as believers, go back to this basic fundamental teaching that you were reborn. You were given a new life. And if you were given a new life, new parental authority has been put over you. You don't belong to your past anymore. Anytime you go back to your past after your father has given you a new life, you're taking a shovel, going to the graveyard and digging up bones that don't live anymore. Take me a lot of years to realize that. You know, I used to think that like, I responded and acted the way my parents did. And I do in some cases, and that's good because there's a lot of good things about my parents, but there's things about them that God has had to heal me of and I've had to let go of because I now have new parental authority over me. And don't hear me wrong, you need to honor your mother and father. That's not what this is about but it is about receiving the new life Jesus paid for you to have. Let's, let's stand up. We're going to pray. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit truly ministered to you through this message from the Word of God. If you'd like to know more, look us up at livingstonfirstchurch.com or follow us on social media. And we look forward to seeing you in person soon.